0: Who gets to decide a Liberty based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society, drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. What's up everybody. And welcome to another episode of who gets to decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you were here and happy you're listening. One of the conferences at Davos featured a panel that had uh, Al Gore on it. And Al Gore, as you know, uh, is a big climate guy, right? He, he ha- produced that movie years ago, An Inconvenient Truth. Of course, if you, watch, if you go back and watch it now, it, you can just tell that everything he said in there was basically a lie because you can look around you and see that none of the stuff that he said would happen has happened. But for some reason they still pull Al Gore into these climate discussions and I thought it was interesting. It was boring at first, you know, cause he's just talking very monotonely like he does. And then all of a sudden he starts ramping up into this complete rant. And I thought we would play it and stop it here and there and, and comment on some of the stuff he's talking about. I just thought it was, it was a little bit over the top, but you know, that's where these people are really, you know, they're starting to get frustrated with the population and we we talked about the other day um uh with Yuri Maltsev passing and he was talking about Friedrich Hayek and central planning. You know, this is you you can kind of almost sense that this guy's about to have a coronary, right? If if he doesn't uh if he if people don't start falling in line, with what the plan is and the plan in this case is to save the planet. And I just thought it was uh, a little bit instructive, I thought it was entertaining given the fact that he was blowing a gasket and and just some of the ridiculous things that he says I thought were worth commenting on. So, I want to I'm going to probably I'm going to try to keep it short today because I think I've got a little touch of a cold and my voice doesn't sound all that great and my nose is driving me crazy. It just, it tickles nonstop. So without further ado, I'm going to, I'm going to play this uh, Al Gore clip and I'll pop in from time to time and we'll comment on it.
1: Level in multiple geographies. That's the point where you often see an inflection uh, going much higher. Norway's already at 50%. All the auto makers are going in that direction business uh, is leading. Andrew and Mark, of course, uh, are two wonderful examples. There are many others. And in the uh, WEF this year, I have noticed a a huge increase in the amount of passion and uh, and attention being paid by CEOs and other business leaders. It is for real. But...
0: So he spends a few minutes talking to all these people and tell them how the business leaders are doing really well and There's been a lot of policy changes and we've made a lot of headway, but, you know, there's a but coming, right? Or he said, but, and you know, look, a lot of this, uh, uh, you know, these cars being made and stuff, a lot of this is, is, is government driven, right? With, with tax subsidies and whatnot, you know, for the longest time you could buy a Tesla And if you did, uh, you could apply for a, um, uh, a government credit tax credit of like $25,000. So, you know, in other words, the government was going to buy $25,000 worth of the car, uh, from you in, 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 in the form of a tax credit. So if you, if you paid at least $25,000 in taxes, you know, this is a good deal for you. Right. So, um, you know this is this this is the type of thing that has been going on and he talks about how some countries are already at 50% you know electric cars and so on and so forth to me the further this goes the worse it's going to be i mean the, the the bigger the crash is going to be whatever that whatever that cr- whenever that crash happens and the crash is just going to be the realization that what we're doing is just not working and Um, and it's going to be disruptive, you know, especially to businesses, but, uh, even, even individuals in their homes. Um, you know, a lot of people are working from home right now. How, how disruptive is it, uh, when your electricity is not reliable?
1: As the secretary general said in his brilliant speech uh, earlier today, we are not winning. The crisis is still getting worse faster than we are deploying these solutions and we need to make changes quickly. Emissions are still going up. All these promises of the last few years to cut emissions, emissions are still going up. When are we going to bring these emissions down? And and just to put the science in a, a slightly different context, people are familiar with that thin blue line that the uh, astronauts bring back in their pictures from space. That's the that's the part of the atmosphere that has oxygen, the troposphere. Uh, and it's only five to seven kilometers thick. That's what we're using as an open sewer. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes and all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you.
0: You can hear Al Gore starting to get wound up. And, and uh, you know, of course emissions are going up because more and more people are living on the planet every day and and people use energy, so emissions are going up but they're going up much much more slowly than they have been in the past and um you know the 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 problem with this whole thing um is it's very one sided you know it's we're only looking at the planet and first of all let me let me say it assumes that all this is bad. You know, there's also been a lot of greening of forests and uh, rainforest around the around the globe as a, as, a, as a result of the increased CO2 in the atmosphere. And remember, the amount of CO2 that we're talking about in the atmosphere is very, very low. I mean, we're talking about uh, like four one-hundredths of one-tenth of a percent or something like that. Uh, it's 400 parts per million. And there's uh, 1% is 10,000 parts per million. So you're talking about a very, very small volume of a trace gas that, by the way, humans exhale too. You know, see, when you exhale, CO2 comes out of your breath. And so, you know, the way I kind of think about this, and I don't know, maybe this is not right either, but, but I think, I think to myself, you know, human beings belong here. Okay. We live here for a reason. How can it be that something that we exhale is bad for the planet? You know, that just, to me, it's hard to square that circle. And, you know, people like Al Gore, look, Al Gore has gotten fabulously rich. He's like a, He's like Al Sharpton. He 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 is to environmentalism as Al Sharpton is to um, race baiting and the race industry. Him and Jesse Jackson. Al Gore is the king of environmental grifting. The guy's worth like three hundred and thirty million dollars now. And back when he ran for vice president, back at the at the turn of the century in two thousand wasn't worth anywhere near that. Maybe a couple of million dollars. So the guy is is just a big fat grifter. He flies around in a big ass private jet and dumps more carbon into the atmosphere in one trip than you or I put in the atmosphere driving our car over five years. So the guy's a huge hypocrite. It's hard for me to take him seriously, especially when he gets like this.
1: We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans.
0: What Al Gore is saying here is that the accumulation of the CO2 in the atmosphere, which I've already told you is like 400 parts per million, which is like 0.04%, or 0.4%, maybe, uh, I haven't done the math on it, but that he's saying that, 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 accumulation of CO2 traps enough heat, uh, that's equivalent to 600,000 Hiroshima bombs going off daily on the planet. Really? <laughs> I mean, there's just, I don't know, there's something about that that doesn't make sense. Now, now the the planet, you know, when the sun shines on the planet, it heats up during the day, and then it cools off at night. And so, is he not accounting for the cooling effect? Or I, I, I don't know. I just cannot imagine that that would be the equivalent to six hundred thousand uh, Hiroshima-type atomic bombs going off um, somewhere on the planet every day. That that sounds. Um, That sounds a little bit hard to believe, but this is the way the guy talks. I mean, he talks about boiling the ocean. That's what's boiling the ocean, he says. Well, you know, last time I checked, the oil, the ocean is not boiling, (laughs) you know? I mean, there is so much, um, heat absorbed by the ocean. Uh, I mean, you gotta, you gotta remember there's parts of the ocean that are like six and eight miles deep. I mean, there's just vast quantities of water in the ocean. Um, You know, I I don't know. The guy, like I said, it's hard for me to take him serious. Uh, This just sounds like, you know, hyperbolic uh, talk. And and that's the way these guys are. They they throw around this stuff like it's fact. And, you know, I don't see uh, PolitiFact, you know, fact-checking these guys or um, NBC News fact-checking, you know Al Gore, uh, but boy, man, they're quick to fact-check. You know, some right-wing person that that um, spouts off something, maybe not as ridiculous as what he's saying, but maybe maybe it's kind of ridiculous or something, maybe marginally ridiculous. So I just I just think a lot of this is just trying to it, it gets these people that think this way all emotionally stirred up. And uh, get some active, you know, get some protesting and yelling and rioting and all these things that uh, people like Al Gore want them doing.
1: Creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self governance on this world. We have to act. So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had and we need have had and we need to make some changes.
0: I mean, I don't even know what an atmospheric river is, but he's saying that the CO2, this trace gas that's finding its way into the atmosphere uh, due to combustion, right, combusting hydrocarbons or burning wood, you know. That's creating atmospheric rivers and rain bombs, okay? And it's boiling the ocean, and it's drying out the ground. I mean, is it creating a rain bomb? Is it creating rain bombs or is it drying out the ground? You know, I mean, you know, to any normal person, this is just weather. Weather is variable; it changes a lot. Um, there's there's really no evidence. I mean, just. Just so everybody knows here, um, all these climate uh, predictions are based on models. Can you imagine trying to model the atmosphere? What, what, what must that be like? How would you even start? I mean, what kind of variables would you... I mean, essentially what, what happened, I think, is these people theorized that something between the sun and the earth... Is causing warming or causing climate change? What what is between the sun and the earth and the atmosphere? What what exists there? Well, if you're if you're a climate alarmist, you know uh, you can't tell people that oxygen is causing climate change. You can't tell people that water vapor is causing climate change. We we have to tell people that CO2 is causing climate change. Because, you know, water vapor, I mean, we, we we know we can't live without water, right? I mean, that's one of the criteria they look at when they look for other planets. Is there water on the planet? And oxygen, you know, 20 plus percent uh, of the atmosphere is made up of oxygen. That's like a million times greater than the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. But you know, we can't tell people that oxygen is what's causing climate change. So it's almost like they theorized that CO2 must cause climate change. And so then they started to look for some sort of relationship between CO2 and warming or cooling. And then they created a model. Um, but that is not the same thing as observing something, okay? That's not... The way science works is you have a theory and then you go test it. You don't have a theory and then go create a model that uh, tells everybody that your theory is correct. You go observe uh, you go observe what's happening in the in the in a controlled experiment. And the problem, much like the problem we we talk about when we talk about the economy, the problem is you you can't set aside a separate atmosphere. And go test things. We all live under this one atmosphere, right? So there is no science really behind this. This is this is all just um, this is all just uh, you know theory and and supposition. And it, it's a way. I my personal belief is it's a way for the government to get control over vast proportions of the economy by by. Mandating all this stuff around climate change, if, if if climate change is the boogeyman, basically then everything that man does affects the climate. So therefore, we have the right to regulate everything. I mean, I think this is really what's behind it all. Um, otherwise, you you know, people would push back on it, and they would say, "Well, what gives you the right to decide? You know, how long I run my gas stove or how long I." you know, burn scrap wood in my backyard or, or, you know, what kind of plastic I buy and whether or not I recycle it and all this kind of stuff. You don't have any, you know, constitution doesn't say anything about that, but see, if you can, if you can link all that stuff to climate change, well then, oh, now we can regulate it and we can control vast proportions of our economy in the name of saving the planet from climate change. I mean this is this is typical government stuff. Now look, I there's a great book called The Creature from Jekyll Island. It's by G Edward Griffin, and it was written in 1994. He predicted all this in the book that that we would run out of enemies to fight and we would have to fight something like the environment. Why? Why do we need to fight the environment? Well, because they need to expand the money supply. And they need to have money, they need to create money that they can spend money on, that they can spend on. And if you if you don't have a war that's really causing you to expand a bunch of credit and, and money, then you've got to have some sort of boogeyman. You know, for the first 20 years in America, it was, it was terrorism. Well, that's sort of played out. And so G. Edward Griffin talks about this in 1994 when he wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island. He said, look, they're going to, eventually war will become unpalatable, basically is what he said, and the government will come up with some enemy, uh, probably the environment, you know, in order to save humanity and to save the planet, we'll have to fight it. We'll have to fight it like it's a war, like it's World War Three. To me, it just proves that, um, that it's not a real enemy. It's just something that they've concocted and convinced everybody of so that they can create vast quantities of credit and money in the economy. Because that is it. That's the name of the game. That's where their power comes from. If they can't do that, they don't really have a whole lot of power. That's the bottom line. The The, the, the money creation is their number one power. That's why I always talk about, look, you take that away from them, all this stuff goes away. All of it.
1: Greta Thunberg was just arrested in Germany. I agree with her uh, efforts to stop that uh, coal mine in Germany. Young people around the world are looking at what we're doing. They look at the World Bank and they say, oh, you've got a climate denier in charge of the World Bank. So why are you surprised that the World Bank is completely failing to do its job? Secretary General says that. Everybody knows the World Bank is failing badly. What do I say to these young activists that I train around the world when they come to me and they say, are you okay with putting the, the CEO of one of the largest oil companies in the world at, in as the president of the COP? Is that really okay?
0: I'm sure most of you didn't see the Greta Thunberg arrest in Germany, but there were some Twitter footage, uh, you know, cause there were other people around, right? And they took a, they took a video of her being arrested and the whole thing was staged. I mean, she's holding her arms a certain way and then they, they pick her up and they hold her like they're carrying her off. And it, it, you could just tell the whole thing was staged. And, uh, but this is the way they, they did. They feign all this outrage and, and, uh, try to strike an emotion in people, um, and, and, and forget about all the facts, right? Forget about what's real or what the truth is. It's just, can we, can we scare people? Can we, uh, manipulate people into doing what, what we want them to do? And of course, you know, people in Germany are, are freezing this winter. And so, you know, some of them want to start up a coal plant and, you know, basically they're trying to keep them from doing that. So, but anyway, this thing he mentions called the cop, it's a, it's, Uh, something called the Conference of Parties. And this is where, this is where they do things like uh, the Kyoto Protocol and um, Stockholm Convention on Organic Pollutants and the United Nations Convention on Combat uh, uh, Deserting, a United Nations Convention Against Corruption. This is where like the international body of law is kind of created. And, you know, in America, though, we're we're sovereign. We're a sovereign nation. We don't we don't subject ourselves to these things. Well, we, there's nothing that says we have to. Um, I think President Biden is is abiding by some of this stuff. But you know, as far as whether or not there's a conflict of interest, I mean, since when does that bother anybody in government? I mean, they have all kinds of conflicts of interest. But the the other thing, the thing I want to really point out about this last clip is, you know, how he's talking about how he trains activists. How do you how do you get to where you're worth three hundred and thirty million dollars training activists? You know, this is something that uh, that liberals do all the time. You know, they don't tell you how they got all their money. You know, grifting um, the governments of the world. You know, they tell you that they're doing this. This really, you know, sincere, pure thing like training activists, climate activists. I mean, what a blow to shit. I mean, maybe he's got some people doing that, but certainly that's not where Al Gore made his money. And he didn't make his money making that stupid movie either, Inconvenient Truth. He basically made his money by trying to set up this whole carbon credit deal um, where companies could trade credits uh, that didn't that didn't want to do you know take certain environmental action you know to lower their site caps and things like that. He he's a grifter. Al Gore is a grifter. That's all he is. He doesn't know anything. He's a, he's dumb as a box of rocks. And um, and he, and that's part of why he talks the way he does and and gets all outrageous and says outrageous things is because he he doesn't know how to persuade anybody. He can't be persuasive.
1: We need to have a supermajority process instead of unanimity in the COP. We cannot let the oil companies and gas companies and petro states tell us what is permissible. In the last COP, we were not allowed to even discuss scaling down oil and gas. Can't discuss it. A lot of the NDCs weren't even called for. Are we going to be able to discuss pha- scaling down oil and gas in the next COP? Or, or, do, or putting the oil industry in charge of the COP? Is that going to tell young people around the world? We've just decided to not even disguise it anymore.
0: It's so amusing how these guys talk. You know, part of, you know, part of uh, one of the things they want to do is have this what they call stakeholder capitalism, which takes into account all the parties involved. But not in this COP thing, right? Not in the conference of parties. You know, oil companies have a stake in the energy business worldwide, but he wants to exclude them from it, right? So stakeholder capitalism doesn't work in this particular case. I mean, these guys look. I mean, hopefully you, you are not falling for all this. Um, a good a good book to read on this is is uh, Safedina Moose's. Uh, the Fiat Standard. He covers a lot of this in the Fiat Standard. There's also a really good paper by the Manhattan Institute uh, called uh, The New Energy Economy, An Exercise in Magical Thinking. There is no way to reduce oil and gas. We we, we, we are going to have to increase oil and gas even if we employ these quote-unquote sustainable solutions. There's nothing wrong with with doing windmills and batteries and all this stuff other than the fact that it's gonna the mining alone is going to destroy land masses around the globe but putting that aside even if you even if all you did was invest in windmills you would still have to uh, build more oil and gas type energy solutions because those those uh, renewable ones are just supplements they cannot they cannot replace oil and gas this is this is everybody knows this i'm sure even al gore knows this but he's still pushing this you know we got to reduce oil and gas it's just not feasible not unless you want to kill you know more than half the people on the planet which is maybe maybe that's what they're trying to do i don't know
1: let me finish with this point on the on the industry you've had problems In your area, where you tried to get legislation and the oil and gas industry came in and fought you, right? In my state, same thing. Every piece of pro climate legislation at the national level, the regional level, the local level, municipal level, the oil and gas industry and the coal industry, they come in and fight it tooth and nail. And they use their legacy network of political influence and wealth to stop progress. The rest of us have to reform these international institutions so that the people of this world, and including the young people of this world, can say, we are now in charge of our own destiny. We're going to stop using the sky as an open sewer. We're going to save the future and give people hope. We can do it. And remember that political will is itself a renewable resource.
0: Where do these guys learn how to talk like this? You know, using the sky as an open sewer and... These little slogans like uh, "political will is itself a renewable," whatever he said. You know, is is there like some special school where you get to learn how to speak in cliches like this? I mean, um, the these guys, it, it's like it's like passing a law. You know, look, passing a law is not magic. Okay, it, it doesn't make. Uh, the resources of the world line up in such a way that you don't put CO2 in the atmosphere. There's nothing magic. I mean, I wish there was some sort of alternative experiment we could provide where we could just stop all hydrocarbon activity, stop all the production of plastics, stop all the production of any kind of chemicals that come from hydrocarbons, stop the production of gas and oil, just cut it off for like you know a couple of months or something let it all let it all go down to like zero production and then let people live a couple of months like that and let them see how that's what that's like because they they have no imagination they they have no idea that the very world around them is provided to them by the oil and gas industry it, it would be like saying you know this my heart beating in my body it, it keeps me from concentrating so I'm going to cut my heart out and I'll be able to concentrate better well obviously that's ridiculous you will die if you cut your heart out right well the same thing would happen if you if you if you stopped all oil and gas uh, production of any kind and I'm not just talking about oil I'm talking about the chemical industry um, the the energy that comes from those industries. Everything, just shut it all off and see how long this economy lasts. I mean, there's just, there. there's this attitude that that they're always for progress. Well, how is that progress? How, how would it be? I mean, we, we, we know there are countries around the world where they don't have oil and gas energy. And, and go look at how they live. How is that progress? Go look at how uh, people live in... Uh, Various places in South America, you know, outside of the city where there's no electricity, there's no utilities. Go see how they live and ask yourself if that's progress. Because these guys are always talking about whatever their ideas are, whatever laws they want to pass, they're always talking about how that is progress. But look, it's anything but. It's actually regress. And it's actually the destruction of Western civilization. So... I don't know. People like Al Gore drive me crazy because they're just so incredibly powerfully stupid and they're so political. They think everything is a political challenge. You know, even said it there at the end. Political will is itself a, a renewable resource. Yeah, I guess, you know, if you're an activist, you can get up every day and be an activist. That's a renewable resource. But you have to eat and you have to drive to wherever you're going. Uh, you have to have electricity or you can freeze to death and then you can't be an activist. I mean you just go on and on and on uh, these guys just don't ever think past you know the first step of anything. So look I hope you enjoyed that I mean I love listening to Al Gore because he's just such a freaking idiot. I mean I don't I mean I, I, you know I've never met Al Gore. obviously I don't know if he's an idiot. But the guy just says the most powerfully stupid things that someone in the public realm should just not be saying, or he should be saying in a different way that doesn't make him look so stupid. But hopefully you enjoyed that. I know I did. I enjoyed listening to Al Gore uh, pontificate and rage on about you know boiling the ocean and using the atmosphere as an open sewer and these kinds of things. I mean this is ridiculous kind of things. These are these are things that he says to to generate emotion and to get these young activists that he trains, quote unquote trains, get them out in the streets and get them gluing their hands to famous artworks in the Louvre and throwing orange paint on stuff and, and on statues and and ruining, you know, great works of art. Because oil companies somehow, like, what is that? How does that even correlate to what oil companies are doing? I'm going to go destroy this Picasso or whatever that's hanging in this museum because I want oil to stop. What I mean, where is the link there? I mean, this is just dumb. But this is what you've got. This is what passes for activism today. So, look, if you like that, if you like this program, uh, share it with somebody you, you like. Share it with somebody you don't like. Uh, But share it. That's the most important thing. Well, actually, the most important thing is to come back and listen. And of course, if you do that, I will be here tomorrow to do it all over again on who gets to decide.
1: But we are still failing badly.